Recorded live. Hello and welcome to the 183rd episode of the Virtualization and Cloud Security Roundtable podcast. Joining me today is uh, my partner in crime, Mike Foley, VMware Technical Marketing Senior Architect. Close enough. Close enough. enough. I think I got them in the wrong order, but I got them. You only get it right once. Once a year, and I've already done that this year. And Mark Feely, and hopefully I pronounced your last name properly. Close enough. Close enough. Who is the CIO and Chief Strategy Officer for AppSera, a cloud company? You tell us what you do. Yeah, it's a container management platform. So we help customers with um, not only managing containers in in production environments in the cloud uh, or in their own data centers, but also um, uh, helping them move their legacy environments into um, the container environment. So we basically provide the traditional um, basics that you would assume would come from an orchestration platform, along with uh, most of the other tools and services that you would expect from a full ecosystem of support. I mean, a good example would be, uh, you know, long story short, would be VMware before VMware became um, a really full-featured vSphere, 2003, 2004 versus 2007, 2008, when it was really hard to just find your VM or figure out where it was. Uh, we offer all the tools that allow you to do the auditing and the securing and the placement um, and management, et cetera, that you would expect from a mature management platform. Very cool. So two things I wanted to cover today, and that was uh, a little bit of Alpeta and WannaCry and all the latest latest attacks that have come across our desk. But also, this is a continuation of a, a a short series of comments that Mark and I had on Twitter where, how did you put it, Mark? Cloud is the what? Cloud is to um, IT what, uh, uh, let me see. I actually have to look at it. I'm paraphrasing myself, unfortunately. You know, it's been, (laughs) Edward, it's been like three days already, you know. I mean, you don't expect me to remember all this stuff this long, do you? Um, <laughs> well, not if you have 140 characters ago. No, probably not. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Let's see here. I'm coming up on something here. Okay. Here, I'm finding. Cloud is to business what vaccines are to people. Uh, some accept a better way, and some will roll the dice. And the idea being that, um, uh, you know, ignoring cloud is uh, is a, and and the opportunity represented by cloud from a larger picture standpoint is a roll of the dice for a business. Uh, I, and I think it's personally, I think it's a um, a weighted uh, um, to higher risk roll of the dice, uh, just as it is um, when someone decides that they don't need to vaccinate their kid against something like measles or rubella or um, smallpox. Um, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's just not a safe bet. Uh, cloud is, a, is an enabler for so many different uh, capabilities for the enterprise and, and so much risk avoidance. But it is not, um, as we started talking about, it's not a cure-all. Um, and you still own a significant amount of responsibility for how you use that environment. And I, I would guess that that's, you know, kind of the meat of what the opportunity of this discussion will be, right? 
Absolutely. And we're actually coming at that from some different extents. When you say vaccinate vaccines, I immediately think of, oh, I got to kill security issues or I got to have a kill chain for the latest whatever. And the latest one was PETA or PETA, um, and which is an eternal blue wanna cry follow on that once more is cycling around the world. So your timeliness of that came across like when all that, that was the same day everything was like massive reporting on that. It was like everywhere I looked, I couldn't turn around and get there. I'm going, how would the cloud solve that problem? And I'm not sure it would. No, I mean, it, 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 what, again, it comes down to um, user process, right? So the cloud um, in and of itself, just putting an image on um, GCP or Azure or AWS is not going to solve much of anything for you except maybe physical access security uh, if you don't have good physical access security. Uh, maybe it will protect you to some degree against uh, traditional patch management, assuming that they own everything below the application and they're taking care of patching, et cetera. So there's, there are some perceived benefits, but um, if, you're, if you're running app environments uh, or um, tools that uh, you're not taking care of, you're not, you're not uh, keeping up to date, um, you don't have good user training for how um, folks are developing or deploying into the cloud, uh, you don't have the appropriate tool chains for ensuring that what you release into production um, has at least the basics accounted for in the form of compliance or security or patching, then uh, all you're doing is, is moving the problem from an internal IT area to an external environment and not protecting yourself at all. So no, in that circumstance, cloud is by no means some form of automated vaccination against uh, that kind of risk. But it could be. I mean, when you think about it, do you think that Microsoft has not done everything they can instead of Azure not to have Peta and WannaCry and all that actually happen inside their cloud? Because just thinking about the press assigning that oh, Azure was hit by a Peta, the Peta virus would be like horrible. And I imagine yeah. Amazon has done the same exact thing. So from that perspective, I think they've actually done everything they can. Well, I think I would agree with that. I think they have done everything they can. I, but I, I don't, and it could be, I could be um, a little bit off base here, but I don't see that as really protecting us from ourselves with the exception of those workloads that um, either one aren't, they're, they're not uh, affected by something like PETA. Uh, I would argue that probably the majority of workloads in public cloud are probably not the kind of uh, environments that are affected by that type of ransomware attack. Um, but True, for I those agree types, with you. Yeah, but for those types of attacks where they could be affected, again, it goes back to how much of that, because uh, we all know, right? I mean, uh, at least I assume we agree that the, uh, majority of uh, basic attacks that occur that aren't targeted by some nation state on your company or your person specifically, the majority attacks of attacks are the equivalent of people taking down whatever the latest uh, um, exploit is and attempting to run it against people who have not patched, um, which is most of the people that were affected by both of the recent ransomware attacks were people that still weren't patched appropriately. So if the workloads you're deploying into public cloud are either 
controlled by you through a tool plat uh, a platform that allows for that kind of uh, capability, whether it's a VMware platform, AppSera platform, uh, some other platform that has um, some basic premise of, of fundamental security uh, rules and compliance rules associated with release to production, um, then you still have the potential of introducing risk at least at the application level, if not at the, um, at the uh, Linux version level or the Windows version level, et cetera, as you deploy. I would agree with that. Now, Mike, if, remind me if I'm, I, 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 correct me if I'm wrong, but the footprint for WannaCry and, and, and Peta were actually Active Directory ports. Yeah, uh, to the best of my knowledge, I haven't really had a whole lot of time to dive into to each one of them. Um, I think I think the greater point here isn't necessarily each specific um, attack as much as it is a common failure of uh, businesses, and I lump IT, security, and the business and everything else all in one, uh, to accommodate the changes in security over the past number of years. These are the same style attacks that have been going on for 30 years. And the problem is, as, as, uh, as Mark alluded to in his tweet, was, is that no one's really, no one has a plan to deal with any of this until after it happens. Because you can't take down production. You, we can't apply this patch. It might break more things than it fixes. Um, you know, the the people are making poor risk management choices. I agree with you, and but I also think that people are making choices without having all the facts. Like for example, I know when I said I mentioned that it was through the Active Directory ports and all that. When you think about it, AD is prevalent in the business, and it's horribly insecure in the business as well. But I'll guarantee you that Active Directory inside of Azure is probably using a Red Forest and a number of other security techniques that the business, many businesses just can't afford to do. Well, well as, I, as I understand it, the, the Petya one is um, malware gets on your box and starts using already approved tools like PSExec and LSA Admin or LSA dump, I can't remember which one, um, mm -hmm. already using pre-approved tools to do bad things. You know, that's, it's, it's not necessarily a failure of AD as much as it is the point I think Mark made at the beginning of, of far too many people with far too many privs just running wild all over the place and just poor security practices. Okay. Yeah. I'm, hearing, I'm hearing horror stories right now, and I'm yeah. hearing horror stories that, you know, how can we get out of this? Everything is down in toast. And the first question I would say is, so when did you last do a backup? And you hear crickets. Yeah, I mean, unfortunately, a lot of the basics are still some of the most um, – fundamental aspects of being successful in, in an IT organization. And, and we oftentimes ignore the basics for um, the next shiny object, or we're ignoring the basics because, frankly, um, you know, we're trying to figure out how to be the leanest, meanest IT organization versus 
an IT organization that can that can effectively both innovate and and protect the business. Um, and you know, most are trying to do one or the other, and um, when they try to do both, they uh, unfortunately fail. But uh, you you Ed, Edward, you brought up the idea of risk a minute ago, or or maybe both of you did. Um, and I think. And whether that's an important topic for this discussion, uh, I have had numerous Absolutely. discussions recently on Twitter and others um, about the fact that in IT, and, and I, I'm throwing myself in there too. I'm not. I'm, I'm not like saying that somehow I'm magically perfect at doing this kind of thing. I'm not. Um, but risk management is risk management is like um, is like a fox saying chicken care. Right? I mean, we, it's, it's a misnomer. It's not a thing. We, we don't, we, most of us don't do risk management effectively at all. Our, our idea of risk management is, yeah, there might be an earthquake. Okay? How much value is there to that? Okay? Uh, we have to be fully redundant because we're important or because this app is important. Uh, what's the risk of an attack? Well, uh, nobody's attacked us in the last six months, so chances are there's no attack. Okay? Uh, yeah, that's, I mean, Really, finger in the air. That's our risk assessment. And um, uh, until we get one better process or two um, better support uh, from leadership, uh, both from the IT leadership and from business leadership, for applying more fundamental, true business practice approach um, against uh, IT work, in other words, running IT as a business, um, I think we're going to continue to suffer these kinds of problems because. Um, it's it's just it's not weighted effectively, and um, like the average homeowner that doesn't get an alarm until their house is actually broken into, um, that's how we treat security. That's how we treat BR. That's how we treat backups. And frankly, that's how we mm -hmm. treat training. Yeah, and well, something bad I... something bad oh, happens. Something bad happens. Everyone goes into a panic. All the doors get locked, and after about a week or two. Oh, everything's fine now. And next thing you know, all the doors are unlocked and no one goes back to check them. And that's what happens. I mean, that's why the smart that's, that's our that's, that's our culture nowadays. Yeah. yeah. And that's why this one hits so badly the second time around because people thought they were safe because they weren't hit the first time. These guys I mean, here's the thing, you cannot assume that the attacker is getting stupider. Just don't. They're smarter than most yeah, people. You can't. That's right. You just can't. That arms race, if you think that, you will lose, and you will lose big. The thing is, is I think that IT, specifically security, even and the developers themselves, don't have a risk mindset, or more to the point, I don't know if they know how to translate what they see as a risk into something the business can understand. And maybe that's where we can help them. There's always like something actionable out of this. It's like, okay, one of the first things I do when people ask me to do a risk assessment is like, okay, what is the value of your data? Give me a number. What do you consider the value of this data? Is it pennies on the dollar? Is it $100 per record? I mean, the average PII, for example, is anywhere between $10 and $20 a record. HIPAA information could be more. I mean, these are well-defined numbers. So if you have 20 million records, do the math. It's, it really is that simple in some cases. But if you don't have HIPAA, PII, or highly regulated data like PCI, 
Then it becomes of how much is that data worth to you, and if it's lost because of poor practices and poor risk management, this is what's going to mean to your business. Right. I, I, Maybe and that's I, um, the first thing that needs to happen. Uh, and I agree. I mean, and that you know, that's a bare bones minimum kind of foundation point for doing risk assessment, right? If you don't actually understand the value of of what it is you're trying to protect, then you have no basis to even begin a risk assessment. And then once you do that, you need to have accurate accurate means for determining um, what the risks you're assuming. Uh, are real. How, how real are they? What's the opportunity that they will occur? How often will they occur? And then that drives your choice relative to the investment to protect the value you've just assigned. And again, most of us don't do that effectively. And it's something that not only do we need to do more effectively, but we need to do regularly. Things change too quickly. And as you correctly, very correctly pointed out, um, there's no place in IT where you can ever say you're done. And if anything exemplifies the race to always improve, it has to be your security organization. It has to be. But, but I'm compliant. Yeah, but you're compliant. That's what I was going to say. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> right. <laughs> For those of you not speaking snark, that was a snarky remark. Yes, however accurate nope. it might have been. I mean, let's talk about compliance for just a second. We've talked about, I mean, Mike and I have sat down and had beers to talk about this one, but, I mean, the thing is, is that compliance is usually three to four years out of date at best with current attacks. Like, for example, there is no compliance right now that even has PETA and WannaCry-style attacks prevention inside of it at all. You do that, and then you got what is the, the so three to four years, and it's also done by committee, which means it's actually probably watered down quite a bit. So it cannot be used for security, but it can be used to say, do you have a minimum standard? And I do mean minimal. But that minimal standard is not enough, not today. Yeah, uh, I am. Um... I don't. I don't know if I have a perfect answer, um, or even a, a, a really, even remotely successful answer to that concern. Other than that, um, all too often, uh, you know, we. I'm going to back up a little bit. When we when we think about IT, it's funny because I was just in a CIO chat earlier before I joined this um, podcast, and we were talking about this to some degree. But um, today, the the average IT organization still struggles with what we've been talking about in IT for over 20 years. And that's a direct correlation between spend and what the business actually wants from IT, right? Or, or wants in the way of an IT service or an IT oriented capability, right? Just, just that, that's, that seems like one of the most bare bones fundamental aspects of IT is that you're delivering things that the business actually wants and needs and has somehow um, done a cost analysis against to justify ownership of or use of. Uh, unfortunately, all too often in those things, similar to the way we build infrastructure from a government perspective, um, we put an application in and we do not take into account the peripheral activities that are required for making that a successful ownership strategy long term. And when I say ownership, 
Uh, a lot of people are confused by my terminology or my use of the word ownership. But I use ownership in IT the way you should use ownership if you have a car or a pool. Uh, if you have a pool, uh, you know, if I go to my wife and I say, honey, I want to have a pool in the backyard, she'll say, okay, fine, that's great. I think we've got enough money. Um, and are you going to clean it? Oh, no, I don't want to clean it. I'll have somebody else do it. Okay, well, just keep in mind, that'll be another 100 bucks a month. Oh, okay, well, we can probably afford that. Oh, don't forget, we're going to need to put a new fence up and be able to have locking gates. Um, oh, crap. Well, maybe we can afford that. Oh, and then, you know, don't forget, we'll need to cover it, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And when you consider those things, all of a sudden, the idea of that pool may not be as exciting. But that's the reality of business. And unfortunately, in order to get things through, we often talk about the minimum in order to justify the, the, the glamour, and then we forget things like being able to maintain our ability to com be compliant and secure, to provide backups, to provide redundancy, to provide training to the team, uh, to make determinations on whether we should build internally or buy externally. All of those things get left to the, the good graces of a, a martyred IT organization just trying to do the best they can with whatever they have available. I like your pool Sorry. analogy. No, I, no, I like your pool analogy because when you think about it, it's actually a really good one. The fact that I want to buy a pool and I have enough money to get a pool—that's a business decision up front. Like, yeah, let's go for a pool type of thing. Let's go in that direction. When you start talking about a fence with locking gates, that's actually a compliance requirement because that's every state right. has that as a requirement these days for any size pool. So. Yep. Then, for certain pools, is a compliance recover a requirement of a cover. But you may want to cover anyways to help protect your own family. So that becomes more of a security constraint. You know, I'm adding more to the compliance than having what's already there. And then I may have, like, a detector. I may put some sensors around there to sense temperature of water, cleanliness of water, even access to the pool you know, and then have something react to those. So when you start thinking about, you know, I may even put a camera always on the pool so I can see what in the world happened and how it happened. And then if I live that in becomes, Florida, I pro then if I live in Florida, I probably want to check the pool to see if there's a gator in it before I allow my kid to go jump in it. Exactly. So now we've gone from the IT, the business of wanting a pool, IT saying we can deliver a pool to the compliance bits that you need, and then the advanced monitoring that you need to ensure the health of that pool, and then the security bits you need to ensure that no one gets hurt. This is, I, this is, I, this is what we need to do for all of IT for every product we do. I mean, I had an argument, a debate today, and actually it was more like an argument, where a developer said we need the, the development tools on a production machine. I'm going, well, why? Well, we've got to compile something. It's like, no, you don't. That's why you have development machines. You should not be putting compilable to things that compile tools on a production machine because it's a security risk. And we go, well, yeah. what type of risk? Like, bad guy gets in there. It's the first thing they're going to do is look for a compiler so they can compile their code. It's not that sure. hard. <laughs> it's, that's a high-risk item. Yep. And then you want to limit access to it. You can, you can put it out there if you limit access using various things. But when you think about that, that debate, that's a developer that does not have an understanding of the impact of a request from a security perspective. And I don't know how to teach them that. 
That's very, very hard other than to say, you know, we don't do that. This is why. Here's a development machine that you can go and compile on and have fun, but not on a production machine. And that debate is often overruled by the business saying, hey, we got to get this done. Just do it. And then no, they absolutely. forget to I mean, clean it up afterwards. Yeah. Right, right. No, every, every, every person that I've ever known in an IT organization, including myself in my own IT organization, um, knows whether they like to admit it or not. If, if they were waterboarded, they would all admit that they may be getting stuff done, they may look like they're doing the things that the business needs, but every single one of them would secretly tell you, there's a lot of stuff I know I should be doing, but I can't dedicate the appropriate time or priority to it, uh, and so I'm just continuing to ride the wave that's in front of me. Uh, and a lot of those things are just like what you talked about, right? Um, uh, and they go into risk, they go into backups, they go into documentation, they go into training, uh, you name it. But those are the things that fall by the wayside first. If you don't have a strong controls-oriented philosophy uh, and, and, and really an, an effective risk management um, capability in your IT organization. And, and again, I repeat myself, but I would say most do not. And actually, if you look at the container world, you have a very strong control environment, but most people don't use it for security. They just use it for deployment. Right, right. No, I mean, it's, I, mean I realize I'm talking about my product now, and I apologize ahead of time, but... Um, That's you know, right, that I do it all. <laughs> That's cool. Um, it was a fundamental aspect of uh, Derek Collison, our CEO and founder's decision uh, in, in building our platform was to build those things in so that they were, in effect, um, gatekeeping against bad behavior for many of the basics that we're talking about. And I think we need to do more of that. Uh, as we talked about at the beginning, it still doesn't change the fact that we as contributors, we as part of the IT organization or even part of the business, need to be smarter, you know, go, uh, repeating the pool analogy, at looking at the entire cost envelope of, um, of doing something for the business. But uh, the more we can do, whether it's because you protect yourself through at certain levels by using public cloud for solving some problems, or whether you protect yourselves by putting in uh, an automated library of DevOps-oriented controls that get applied every time you deploy, uh, or some combination of the above, um, they don't absolve you but they get you a little closer, uh, and oftentimes they're controlling some of those things that are the most likely target areas. And But that also where, I mean, I've actually talked about this in the past on various other things, but that's where you need, almost like you need a security developer, a person that has a development mindset, that has a security mindset to ensure that the T's are crossed and the I's are dotted from a security perspective, almost like you need an operational, operational developer that can actually do the same thing from an operations side. You need something from the data protection world that can also do that. It's not just one little – you can't just be a developer who writes code these days. Well, right. at least your team can't comprise a developer who writes code. Which, which is um, uh, an interesting dilemma, right? I mean, we've um, – We've idolized the developer, um, 
and we've assumed in many cases some form of ops responsibility through the term DevOps. Um, and we've, uh, in far as I'm concerned, we've characterized both of those opportunity areas or risk areas very poorly. Um, uh, you know, the developer is a key component of the IT organization, any business, um, uh, as are many other employees in the organization. But giving anyone a free hand does not do them or the business any favors. It's just that simple. Exactly. And that's, it comes, it's also mindset. I mean, just people come up with different training. I mean, IBM used to say anybody can be a programmer. And they're absolutely right. I, anybody can be trained to write code. Not everybody can be trained to be a developer or think outside that, that coding paradigm, so to speak, outside well, their box. Developers aren't system architects. Nope. No, they're not. In nope, and, they, and, they, and they're not trained. Right. Go ahead. Go ahead. Ed. Sorry. And system architects don't today don't have the 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 mindset for security or even data protection. I, right. I don't disagree. That's where yeah. they need to go to the security team and, and the compliance team and the data protection team and get that help. If you don't know it, you need to learn it, or get the help you need. Find it. It's yeah. too important well, it, not to. What? What? I mean, really, what we're talking about here is a is a recognition of something. You know, we all know it. We just don't. Um, oftentimes, we don't actively talk about it, and that's a recognition that um, there is no uh, island in IT. Right. Everything is part of a larger system, uh, and all of that system needs to be accommodated or considered, uh, risk managed. However, you want to um, uh, uh, categorize it. Um, as as you put uh, uh, critical applications into production, uh, and for that matter, almost any application, right? I mean, you you making a decision not to secure something or not to spend extra on security for something needs to be in and of itself an active, documented decision, right? And even at that level, um, most of us are not doing a good job. And I would say it wouldn't be just critical systems because these attackers are not hitting critical systems. They end up there. That's not who they're going in through. They end up at critical systems because of all the interconnectivity of all these different applications and computing systems out there. I mean, when you think about it, they could become, they may like, oh, you handle this poorly. So they get to that machine and that's where they go. They say, oh, you handle this poorly. And I mean, that's a hacker's dream come true right there. I mean, yep. if cold code can drool when they come across that, the code will be drooling going, oh, I found it, I found it, and then just go nuts. And that's it's all automated. And that's the other thing is we need better automation around this, but that's a different story. Um, let's get back to one thing is that how can we as IT measure that risk better? If we do have a dollar value, it's easy, but how do we find it out? Should I, as a developer, understand the dollar value of the data I'm working on? Or I, as an IT ops person, understand that? I have my own opinion. What do you guys think? Yeah, I, I when, sorry, Mike, I'm, I'm just jumping in. Um, sorry. But when I, I was talking about this with some folks, um, uh, I don't know, maybe a month ago or, or give or take a few days, um, and I came up with the notion of having a, um, a chief risk officer, right? And, and that may or may not in and of itself be um, the right answer. 
but and it's also not meant to make it sound as if um, a person in a role solves all your problems, right? Um, but just like a CIO isn't necessarily expected to both know how to configure and implement uh, Active Directory or vSphere and build an ERP system uh, or do backups, they're expected to help ensure that the right people are doing the right things and are delivering from a vision standpoint for the business. Um, a chief risk officer or something similar um, could help make sure that the appropriate accommodations, the appropriate training, uh, and the appropriate cross-functional um, areas of risk and opportunity are accommodated um, with each major project, right? And, and again, it may not be the perfect answer, but that was the answer I came up with in, in the brief discussion we had over Twitter on the subject. Mike, what's your thoughts? Um, I'm, I'm enjoying listening to the two of you right now. Um, you know, it's, I just see the same mistakes being made over and over and over and over again. We're having the same conversation we had 10 years ago. You know, um, I'm just, I'm just kind of reaching a level of, you've got to be bleeping me. This again? And... Let me get off my lawn. It, yeah, 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 I guess, I guess that... I guess that is is true. Get off my lawn. I mean, it's businesses, as I as I pointed out on Twitter a little while ago, uh, businesses are making uh, very poor risk management decisions, and they're they're doing that doing it at their own peril. And now we are seeing the fruits of their non labor. And I can't the fruits say of their poor I, decisions. Yeah, I can't. I can't say as I'm terribly sympathetic, and that, that sounds really douchey. But oh well. <laughs> I'm not all that sympathetic to bad decisions either. But what I really think is that, I mean, in answer, in answer to my own question, I mean, you think there should be a chief risk officer? You saying that you know you made bad decisions you shouldn't have. And, you, and both of you, I think, are, are right, but I actually think that every developer, every IT person, every person in the business, regardless if it's the janitor all the way up to the CEO, needs to understand the underlying value in dollars or whatever makes sense to them of their data and their intellectual property. That way, if the janitor comes across an IP piece of IP in the wastebasket, he knows what to do with it because he knows how much it's worth. But if the, if the developer comes off and says, I'm treating, doing, treating data cavalierly, and that was his choice, and we find out it isn't, it's like, look, you need to treat this better because it's worth this much to the business if it's hacked or whatever. you know. This becomes a big well, motivator. Well, I think, I think what's, what really needs to happen in the industry is – um, and if you look at some of the, the big security, quote-unquote, conferences, uh, the vast majority of the big security conferences are focused on governance, risk, and compliance, which, don't get me wrong, are important things. Uh, and they're focused on, ooh, look, I found a vulnerability. Everyone should be scared now. And what they're not focused on is security operations. What they're not focused on is improving the people and process issues. And, and everyone wants a 
bring an easy button for security that allows them to just say, get out of my office, I press the button. And it, it, we, we need to change the culture, not only from, from a security guy's side. Security guys are not involved and don't understand a lot of the virtualization technologies and how they can use them. They're more interested in what can I turn off than what can we leave on. That's the wrong approach. Yeah, that's the the culture is broken. And the fact that so many big companies are now sitting here dead in the water right now is indicative of that fact. And I'm going to bring that back to the cloud is that let's say you did get hit and you just started copying, replicating your data to the cloud, but it was already encrypted. What are you going to do? How are you going to recover? You know, you need to think about all of that recovery from the latest attack or the set of attacks. These companies are having a hard time doing it. I mean, real hard time. I mean, there was one where it was a picture online of somebody have a white. They went old school. They took a whiteboard down and said, all the computers are off. Do not turn on your laptop. If, Leave it alone. If your, company, if your company right now has a whole bunch of systems that are sitting there with the Petya screen saying, send your Bitcoins to wherever right now, and you're thinking of moving the cloud, your priorities are messed up. Moving to cloud will not solve this. It is there. Are, the thing is, is moving to cloud just introduces a whole bunch of new threat vectors. Some good, some you can deal with. Most of them you can deal with. However, if you haven't taken the time to understand your existing threat uh, posture, and you want to add in yet another new one, and think that you can just apply compliance to it to make it all better you're sorely lacking. You may want to consider getting new people. That would end up being a career-limiting choice, um, in my opinion. When you think about it, security, risk, it's an ever-changing job. And you need to be able to think about it in the long term and in the short term. You're not, you can't think about it as a short-term, easy fix, because there is no easy button. There is no silver bullet, and that's just, that's just the way it is. But, Mark, you, you talk to more C-levels than probably I do at this moment. What do you find that people are really interested in talking about there? Are they even interested in security at that level? Or are they just saying, um, actually, protect me and go from there? I actually don't talk to as many C-levels as you might think. What I usually end up talking to customers about is I need to get my customer security team on the call because they don't believe that um, uh, you know, virtualization technology is secure and we need to move ahead with this thing whether it's a, a project or a deal or whatever, can you basically pull them in off the ledge and, you know, tell them it's all going to be okay? That's where hey Mark, that's, what's your, that's the type of phone call I have. 
Mark, what about you? I mean, you talk to these people. I mean, Upsara has a fairly nice security part of their product. What's the conversation like? Well, Mark, I need to bring back. Hey, hey guys. Sorry. Uh, I, you dropped. I, I had to click you on, didn't you? Yeah. Yeah, I don't know what happened there. I dropped everything. Um, but, um, no, I, I do talk to sea uh, level folks on a regular basis, including a good friend of mine that uh, um, uh, works for an um, online retailer out of San Francisco. And the, the security concern is one that um, I think he recognizes as well or better than most. Um, the struggle that, uh, and I, I hope I didn't get to hear everything you guys said, so I hope I'm, I'm entirely on topic here, but the struggle that he tends to find, um, even with his strong relationship as both you know, sort of CIO and CTO for the business, is that um, it's getting the attention from the business to understand the appropriate security risk as much as it is allocating appropriate resource um, to making it happen. And, um, you know, the, the, the key risk for him as he sees it, uh, similar to many of the organizations that are suffering uh, right now uh, and certainly earlier this week uh, from the ransomware attacks, um, is that his vulnerability is literally his lifeblood. And, and if, if his exposure, uh, exposed areas were to be hit in any serious way, it would make him unable to do business uh, again, which is like many of the people that were impacted by the um, the recent uh, threats. Uh, so he takes it very seriously. And in and, and reality, um, again, uh, you know, uh, I'm um, I'm hawking my uh, tool here. But one of the reasons why um, he selected the, the, our platform for his environment um, was because, in many cases. Not only was there not appropriate, you know, to some of the points that Mike made earlier, or some of the points that you made, Ed, um, uh, in many cases, in fact, most cases, the developer really wants to develop. They don't want to be ops. The developer is not security focused by nature, um, although there can be some of that uh, trained in and hired for. Um, and in most cases, people, uh, you know, back to my point about the developer being the god in the organization now, uh, means that developers oftentimes get what they want and they get to do it the way they want to because if they don't get that, then the assumption is that they're probably going to go somewhere else if they're, if they're seriously talented. And so that leads oftentimes to snowflake activities relative to things that would help you remain compliant or help you be secure. Uh, and we all know that if it's snowflake, if people have a chance to do it their own way, over and over again, it just dramatically increases the amount of risk that you introduce to the environment. And so those are some of the things that I believe we have to do a combination of training for, but also help apply the appropriate automation and tools, whether that's at the cloud level or at tool level in your organization, uh, to help ensure that that kind of snowflake activity um, is, is limited to a minimum at best. Okay. So it's a conversation that's happening, but it's still a lot of people just don't know what the how to answer that question yet. Yeah, and, it, and it goes back. I mean, he, he yeah he struggles with the same thing we were talking about earlier, which is that um, you know it's easy to say yes, there's security risk, um, and we assume the risk is um, X, although we don't have really a way to measure what that risk is, uh, other than saying that out of uh, uh, 500,000 companies uh, on an average day. 
uh, 1% or half of a percent of them get exploited um, or um, something worse, you know, almost all of them are being exploited in some way all the time or something in between. So it's really hard to measure risk when that's your, your foundation. And then, um, you know, being able to, to put an appropriate um, level of value, as, as we were talking about earlier, on what it is you're trying to protect so that you can correlate the two. Um, you know, even when you have the, the right people focused energy on it, it's not uh, an easy thing to do. Okay. What's last thoughts? Mike, do you have any? Um, make me happy and start changing your culture. Start patching. Start figuring out how to incorporate um, security updates and security patches into your day-to-day -day IT operations. Um, it can't be, we can't patch the, this emergency patch because that will take production down. You, you guys are going to have to figure out a way to deal with that because as you're seeing now, I would rather be down for a couple of hours and take a couple of hour hit than to be down for a week or two and spending tons of money trying to recover the business. It's as simple as that. Right. Okay. And, and for me, for me, I would um, attach on to what Mike just said, and I would say that this is the the problem we face in IT is not getting better. Right? We don't have every every day. We don't have more IT leaders saying, "I've got more budget and more free time for my staff to do more of the things that they've been ignoring." It just doesn't happen. It, in fact, it's getting worse by the day. And the reality that uh, you know, again, using Mike's um, uh, uh, preaching on, on getting to some reality, the reality in my mind is that this is not an area of opportunity that can be solved by throwing more hardware and bodies at it, right? This is, this is an area of opportunity where you have to define um, ways to uh, automate and provide consistent controls that don't require human intervention on an hourly or daily basis uh, that can be easily audited and managed against. Um, uh, and, and having a bunch of folks defining their own scripts and releasing to production their own way, um, defining the security or compliance threshold of a particular deployment every single time they do it independently, um, that's not conducive to, um, to speed. It's not conducive to agility. Um, it's not conducive to the kinds of environments that will allow um, uh, fewer hands touching the environment on a daily basis and and more uh, successful ability to control release to production and uh, automated updating, et cetera, et cetera. So, um, you know, that's that's my uh, story and I'm sticking to it. And I'm going to say that's a good one to end on. Thank you for joining us on this version of the Virtualization Cloud Security Podcast. I'd like to thank Mark and Mike for joining me on this. It was a very interesting conversation. It's not often we get that point of view, but I think it's worth to have. If you have any questions, please feel free to send them to me. I am will on Twitter, on various other things. I'm also you can reach me at my email address at virtualizationpractice.com. You can reach Mike at his, and Mike will probably uh, will get yours. And Mark, I will put your information in the show notes as well.
Thank you, everybody. Thank you.